I see walking in these woods. Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Listen to me. This song by Vladimir Putin was brought to you by WABC 77 Talk Radio. Um, he wants to take Ukraine, and uh, nothing's going to stand in his way, because it is all a big bad wolf could want. Uh, the breadbasket of Russia, uh, 50 million people to augment Russia's population of 150 million, a 25% increase in their country. And uh, the only warm water port they have, and uh, the essentially the Russia is a small country without the Ukraine, but with the Ukraine it's a big country and a world power, and the United States is sitting back and just saying. That's America's new attitude toward Russia. You know you got it if it makes you feel good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm here with Dougie DePiro. Hey, Dick. How you doing? And um, we're talking about Ukraine. The uh, United States made a commitment to Ukraine in 1995. I was there then during the Clinton White House. And when the Soviet Union fell apart, the problem was they had nuclear missiles all over the Soviet Union uh, based there, including 1,900 warheads in Ukraine. So the issue was, would Ukraine become a nuclear power? Would they become one of the great nuclear powers of the world? And Clinton initiated talks with Russia about that and Ukraine, and they met in Budapest and formulated the Budapest Memorandum in 1994 that committed the United States and Russia to respecting the territorial integrity of Ukraine and not to make threatening moves on that. And now the United States is searching for a way out of that. We have a suggestion. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. Yeah. 50 ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, stand. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. Or hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. Ooh, slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, stand. So you that's don't the, need uh, to be coy, Roy. Biden foreign Just policy. Slip out the back, Jack, and uh, let them take whatever they want. I want to spend a moment discussing with you a little bit of Ukrainian history because you need background in this to understand what's going on here and why the Ukrainians hate the Russians so much. It begins really after the communist revolution in 1917 when after the revolution, uh, Stalin became dictator of Russia. And he decided that the important thing was to try to move Russia from an agrarian society to an industrial one. And his solution was absolutely incredible. It was essentially to take all the food from the agricultural sector and feed it to the cities, to the industrial workers, and starve the farmers to death. You know what it takes to starve a farmer? How do you starve a farmer? When he grows his own food, <laughs> right. and has his own livestock? Well, wow. it isn't funny. He starved the Ukraine to death. Four million peasants died of starvation, even though they owned farms, even though they farmed their farms, harvested the crops, and the second they harvested them, 
the army and the secret police came in and took them away, confiscated them, killed all their livestock, and left them starving to death with just soil, nothing, nothing growing. And this was the uh, the the kulag was what they called their peasants, the kulag famine of nineteen thirty one and nineteen thirty two. Then, after they finished that, there were some who sympathized with the kulags and didn't like the idea of their whole population being wiped out. So Stalin initiated the Great Terror in 1938, which killed another million people in the Ukraine. They rounded up anybody who had any connection with the West or former czarist officials or farmers that weren't too cooperative, anybody that complained when their food was taken away and their families were literally starving to death. There were extensive reports of cannibalism throughout Ukraine. The mothers were eating their babies, literally. There were reports of thousands of reports to that effect. Then World War II comes. Germany invades. And obviously the first place they hit is Ukraine. It's closest to Germany. Now the Ukrainians had a real question. Are we going to support Hitler or are we going to support Stalin? Stalin just starved our whole country to death and killed millions of us. Hitler hasn't done anything to us. He invaded us. So the initial inclination was to support Hitler. Then Hitler made a huge mistake and decided that he wanted to kill all the Ukrainians because they were Slavs and they were the enemies of the Germans, the enemies of the Teutonic population. And because of racial war, he systematically exterminated Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians just went completely crazy, were completely crazy because Hitler was just rounding them up and shooting them. I forgot something. At the start of World War II, when Hitler invaded, the Ukrainians, who many of whom were anti-Semitic to start with, themselves started killing Jews in Ukraine, Poland, and Lithuania, the Baltic state. So already you had the Jews being killed by the Ukrainians. Then you had the Ukrainians being killed by the Germans. When Russia reconquered the Ukraine in 1944, and pushed the German army back. As those territories became liberated from Germany, Stalin decided to kill everybody that lived there because they had been exposed to Western ways. They had presumably been corrupted by capitalism. And some of them collaborated, some of them were pro-German, and he was deter- and his policy was just kill everybody. So between Hitler killing them, Stalin killing them, the famine before World War II and the Great Terror and the anti-Semitic killing of the Jews, you had about 7 or 8 million Ukrainians killed out of a population of about 40 million. About a quarter of the country was killed. Then Russia moved in and conquered Ukraine and took it over and uh, instituted a strong communist regime there that had its own history of terror and everything else. So the Ukrainians can't stand the Soviet Union, can't stand the Russians. Now, what the Russians did was Stalin decided the only way that he could take over Ukraine was by immigration, kind of like our southern border. And he made tens of millions of Russians, 10 million Russians, move to Ukraine. He forcibly resettled them in Ukraine. He took the whole eastern third of the country and made it Russian deported any Ukrainians that lived there to the West and made it entirely a Russian colony where they spoke Russian, their schools were in Russian, and speaking Ukrainian was was outlawed. And that's how Ukraine came to be the way it is now, two-thirds Western, one-third Russian. And the Russians uh, are attacking, uh, they say, to try to get their their own people out. Now, in fact, over the years, all of Ukraine has become bilingual, and those roots have faded. But that story lies at the subtext of what's going on right now. Hmm. So Ukraine has every reason in the world to fear and hate and despise Russia. Now, after the Soviet Union broke up, Ukraine became independent. And the first thing that happened was the Russians installed a puppet government there that ran the country for about 10 years one of the most corrupt governments of all time. 
Then in 2004, no, in 2007, when I was in Ukraine, the, they had what they called the Orange Revolution, which was for the first time the Ukrainian people who had been through so much horrible stories over their lives decided, hey, we're taking matters into our own hands, we're getting rid of the Russians, and we're electing a pro-Western government. Get us away from this monster. Move us into the West. And they had an election, and the Russians stole the election, uh, just completely counted the votes wrong. And the Ukrainians went into the streets of Kiev uh, in sub-zero weather for all of December, January, and February, and they refused to budge. Traffic couldn't move anywhere. The trucks couldn't get over. Everything dropped dead in the Ukraine. Food couldn't be delivered. And they stayed in the square in Ukraine saying, we're not leaving until you count the votes right. And because of that, they forced a new election, and in the election, the Good guy, my candidate, Yashenko, won. But before he won, the KGB poisoned him. They said, let's go out to lunch and let's <laughs> set up a treaty. They're buying. And they, yeah, they're buying. And they put <laughs> dioxin in his soup. And uh, he damn near died. Uh, you see the pictures of him before when I met him. He's a good-looking guy. Afterwards, his face looks like it's been through a meat grinder. Oh and he narrowly survived. But the Ukrainians stood by him and said, we voted for him for president. He became the president of Ukraine. Then the Russians said, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do, Ukraine. We're going to cut off your gas supplies. You can freeze to death this winter. So they did. But Ukraine helped themselves to the gas that was going through Ukraine to go to Germany and Western Europe. And as a result, Germany was cold, but they were okay. Good. That got Putin decided to build the pipeline under the Baltic. So they couldn't bypass, they, they would bypass Ukraine, and the Ukrainians couldn't stop it. And that's the pipeline that we're trying not to let them open. Uh, Trump was strong about that. Biden is, was initially pro-pipeline. Now he's threatening to close it if they invade. But that's a bit of history. I think the Ukrainians are going to fight like hell. I think this is going to be no easy walk for the Russians. Uh, it reminds me of another story, which was in 1940, Finland was an independent country of only 4 million people. And Russia was allocated Finland by the Nazi-Russian agreement they signed, where Hitler agreed to let Russia take over Finland. So Stalin marched his army into Finland, a country of 150 million, declaring war on a country of 4 million. And the Finns won. They yeah. won. For seven months, they held the entire Red Army at bay. See, the Finns fought on skis, and they were all dressed in white, and they were used to fighting on skis. The Russians weren't. It took about eight months for Russia to overwhelm Finland and conquer it. And the pathetic performance of the Red Army was part of encouraging Hitler to invade later that year. So I think you're headed for something very much like that. I think the Finns are going to be staunch, and fierce and freedom-loving and standing up. Ukraine, you mean? Oh, Ukrainians, I'm sorry. They say Finn, no, Ukrainians. Uh -huh. And I think that you're going to see a, a war that might go on for a while. And the American appeasers, like Tucker Carlson, who I've come to hate at Fox News, who keeps telling us Putin's right, he's just occupying his own territory, He's it, NATO is imperialist, what would you think if Canada and Mexico joined the Soviet alliance? a Russian alliance, those guys are going to have some explaining to do when it becomes clear that we're talking here about naked imperialism. Now, we all celebrated the fall of the Berlin Wall. Many of us have chunks of the Berlin Wall as souvenirs. You do? No, I don't. I don't. I've seen it. Uh, Trump had one right on his desk. Cool. And that wall is going back up. This son of a gun isn't going to stop till he hits the Brandenburg Gate. And I believe that Joe Biden should stand up now in front of the world and give a memorable, famous speech. He should say, Mr. Putin, build back this wall. <laughs> this is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show. Economist. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, give me a call. Keep me company. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Now, I grew up as a kid on 85th Street and West End Avenue in Manhattan. And one of my favorite places I used to go to was the Museum of Natural History. That's at 77th Street in Central Park West. Great, great place. And there's this amazing statue of Theodore Roosevelt on a horse in front of the museum. And on one side, he had uh, a, an African man. And on the other side, he had an, a Native American man walking by his horse, which was really a symbol of the close friendship that he established, both with the black community and with the Native American community. Theodore Roosevelt was a Republican. And the Republicans back then were the opposition to the Southern Democrats, who were racist and horrible. And um, when he was president, Theodore Roosevelt invited Booker T. Washington, the most famous black leader of his time, to come to the White House for dinner and appeared with him in photographs, welcomed him, first black man ever to visit the White House. Hmm. And uh, it absolutely sent roars throughout the South. They were fierce about it. They were aggressive. They were about only about 60 years after the Civil War. And Theodore Roosevelt was an incredible president. He founded the environmentalist movement. He started it. If you're green, you're a Theodore Roosevelt fan. He invented the national park system. He established the park. He bought Yellowstone and a whole bunch of other parks that exist now because of Theodore Roosevelt. He was very offended by the way Standard Oil and the other big companies dominated the American marketplace and gouged the consumer. So he broke up Standard Oil. He broke up the uh, the uh, financial trust that J.P. Morgan had established. He pioneered the idea of antitrust laws. He uh, dug the Panama Canal, uh, which made it possible for us to be a two-ocean country, uh, be able to uh, to integrate America as one country. And for those of our listeners who are from Puerto Rico, he was instrumental in Puerto Rico becoming a commonwealth of the United States because he was one of the leading military figures that won the Spanish-American War. Uh, His group was called the Rough Riders who Mm -hmm. ran up San Juan Hill and conquered it. And that led to Puerto Rico joining America as a commonwealth. Wouldn't happen without him. So now the new left, the crazies, have come in And in the middle of the night, literally at midnight on January 22nd of this year, tore down the statue of Theodore Roosevelt. Don't bring me down. You're tearing down the statue of the founder of the environmental movement. You're worried about climate change. You're worried about uh, environmental issues and pollution. Well, you you wouldn't even know they existed if it weren't for Theodore Roosevelt. You ever enjoy vacationing in the national parks? You like the Grand Canyon. You like Yellowstone. You like Yosemite. You like looking at Old Faithful. Well, they didn't. Ex- they wouldn't exist if it weren't for the Theodore Roosevelt. And more importantly, what would happen is there'd be one great big factory there or one big, right. great big coal mine, except that he pre- he preserved them. And now these ignorant folks that have no real idea what he did or who he was useful are idiots. tearing down his statue. Yeah. It's outrageous. And we have a kind of funny story. Um, there is a guy named Sam Brinton who has just been appointed Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Department of Energy in charge of spent fuel and nuclear waste disposition at the Office of Nuclear Energy. He's in charge of nuclear power 
plants and disposing of their waste safely in the United States. He has quite a background. He is a gay drag queen. (laughs) Not my words, his words. (laughs) Uh, He says that uh, he gave a talk recently where he was, quote, very open about his sexual experiences, the kinks he partakes in, and the nature of his relationships. He left us with countless anecdotes like how he enjoys tying up his significant other at a table and eating his dinner while he watches Star Trek. And there's this photo of him online that went viral, dressed up like a dog with three men kneeling in front of him, dressed up as dogs, and he poses for this photo. And this is the man that Biden has appointed to be in charge of nuclear energy in the country. I started a joke. Bitch started the whole world crying. You're not right. But I didn't see (laughs) that the joke was on me. Joke was on all of us. Oh my God. Now this character does not need Senate confirmation, so he is in. So pay your respect to the government. <laughs> the the drag queen. Uh, his last job, by the way, was he manned a suicide line to help make sure gays didn't kill themselves, which is very commendable and right. God bless him. Uh, yeah, but a qualification to be under Secretary of Energy in charge of nuclear waste disposal? You got to be kidding me. Let's go to David in Orange County. Hey, David. Yeah, hello. Hi. Yeah, I uh, appreciate your program and your point of view on things. I had one comment about the Russian. Actually, it's a comment question about the Russian-Ukrainian situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who grew up in Belarus under the Soviet right. Union. And uh, I just pay attention to what's going on over there. Now, Lubachenko... Um, is the Russian puppet head of Belarus. Yep. He's very unpopular. Yep. He's a horrible dictator. So I think the Russian move there with the um, exercises that are going on military, I think they're kind of worried about that because the same thing could happen in Belarus that happens in, uh, is going on in Ukraine. Well, Belarus is the uh, one former Soviet republic that is the most communist, the most reactionary, the most Stalinist. And it's a terror-based regime that this guy has going in Belarus. Belarus is about 20 million people. Ukraine is about 45 million. And I think you're right, but Ukraine doesn't want to become another Belarus. Uh, Let's go to uh, Jane in uh, Staten Island. Jayanne, I'm sorry. Jane, I, okay. uh, Mr. Marsh, I, a longtime fan, uh, listener, Thank you. and believer, as a normal, average citizen, how do we combat this negativity from the Biden administration? How do we help? What can we do on the ground? Well, you can get rid of the Republic, the Democratic Congress mm. in 22. And uh, right now you can voice support for America speaking up and taking some some teeth about its proposal on trying to keep the Ukraine free. Uh, let's go to Janet in Manhattan, mm. whose grandparents are immigrants from Ukraine. Yes, hi. Um, good afternoon, Mr. Morris. Um, uh, yes, my um, both my grandparents emigrated to this country from Ukraine uh, before things they before things got really bad over there. But um, when? you would be um, in the early part of the 1900s. Okay. Uh, and um, you would be doing the Ukrainian people in this country and all over the world a great service if you would call the forced starvation of the farmers by the name that the Ukrainians have given it, and it's a, it's a mouthful, it's called the Holodomir, but that is the way the Ukrainians refer to that period of time. Say it the, again. The Holodomir. 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 Correct. Holodomir. Yes. Okay, I'll try to and remember that. Thank you. Thank you. And, and the other thing is... Um, 
Uh, a lot of us uh, Ukrainian descendants in this country are very upset by what we see happening here yeah, right. because we know from history and experience and family telling us in Ukraine during the Soviet uh, uh, empire that this, these the similarities are getting yeah. to be just too great. They are. They're horrible. Yes. Well, yes. God bless. Are your grandparents still alive? No, no. Yeah, even my no. parents have passed oh, away. Okay. So. Well, thank you for calling in, Janet. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Jonathan in Hillsborough. Good morning. Um, Hi. Well, good afternoon there, Mr. Morris. You had an superb and an excellent monologue about the suffering of the Ukrainian people on both sides, from the Russian on one side and from the Nazis on the other side. So I have a question to ask you. What's your opinion? Will an invasion of uh, sovereign Ukraine, would that solidify Europe, in other words, all of NATO against Russia, or they're going to be split? Because that's the objective of Putin, is to split NATO and marginalize the United States. Good question, Jonathan. I think that NATO will rally. I think Putin will rue the day he did this invasion. And I think the Ukrainian people are going to fight hard against him. And I think this is an issue which will go on for several months And all of the appeasers, like our friend Tucker Carlson, will be eating their words when they see what's going on. Uh, And uh, we will recommit ourselves to freedom. Let's remember, this is Ronald Reagan's legacy we're talking about. The tearing down of the Berlin Wall, the end of the Soviet Empire. It's now all coming back because of uh, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden enabling it. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Well, she's back. Uh, I won't tell you who. Uh, I'll just play some music, and you'll have to guess who. Well, <laughs> you, you got it right. If you named Hillary, <laughs> you got it right. Um, she's back. She is going to address the New York State Democratic Convention this week. Uh, I think it's on Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure where, when. But um, it's going to be her first speech since she's floated the possibility of her running or injected herself. Uh, Hillary did an interview with MSNBC in December where she criticized the extreme left of the Democratic Party, saying that they will never be able to um, to win because they were going into purple districts, half blue, half red, with extremist, unbelievable rhetoric, and that that kind of leftist stuff is not going to win the election. And, uh, and that the Democratic Party has to become more pragmatic to go about and doing that. And that was a, a shot across the bow at AOC, and the uh, progressive movement, and was positioning Hillary for a race in 2024. And her strategy, which I've spoken about on the air a few weeks ago, uh, conceived, I believe, by Bill, is that she would use the period between now and the election of 22 to position herself as the alternative to the left wing of the Democratic Party, trading on her husband's relatively moderate record, um, and trading on the expectation that the Democratic Party is headed for catastrophe in the elections of 2022. And she's going to become the spokesman who warned everybody about that. And no other Democrat will do that because they're all going to stick with Biden through 22, as decrepit as he is. Mm. And they're afraid of being punished by the left if they deviate from that line. So all of them who are looking to run for president in 24, because I think everybody agrees the Democrats have to get Biden to say he's not going to run again, um, that all those who are going to run in 2024 have got to not criticize Biden because they don't want to alienate 
the left of the Democratic Party. But Bill and Hillary sense a vacuum here, and they're completely right. It's an incredible vacuum, which is that the Democrats are terrified about describing the reality of what's going on, the left taking over the Democratic Party and running it into the ground. So the only person who will be pushing this line is Hillary. And AOC rose to the bait and attacked Hillary for that, didn't attack her. She said, some people say we should be more moderate, but the reason we might lose in 22 is that we didn't do enough. Uh, We didn't pass all the stuff. We didn't pass voting rights. Um, We didn't ask for enough, and we didn't do enough. We have to be more left. And uh, that AOC versus Hillary will, I think, increasingly come to characterize uh, the Democratic Party over the next six to eight months. And then in earnest, because I think after the 22 election, when the Democrats get clobbered, I think Biden is going to be forced to announce that he's not going to run for re-election. And that will set off a scramble for the 24 Democratic nomination with Kamala Harris running, but very quickly dropping down to zero in the polls. Mm. Very quickly. I believe at some point she'll be replaced by another black candidate. My own guess is Cory Booker. And there'll be an establishment white candidate who I think will be Pete Buttigieg. I think that's why Biden put him in charge of doling out the goodies in the infrastructure package. He's the one that decides who gets the contract, what states get the money, what projects get funded, and he has $2 trillion to give away. <laughs> and that's that's a lot of political patronage. And he Payola. controls it absolutely. I think he's going to run. And I think he'll be the, the great hope of the regular Democratic Party. When that happens, I think AOC is going to get into this. I think that she will see the possibility of a moderate takeover of the Democratic Party by Buttigieg. Uh, She'll see the collapse of Biden, and she will jump in and say we need a younger, progressive, female, radical, progressive voice uh, running for the presidency, and I'm going to be that. And that, I think, is going to bring Hillary in because she'll say I'm the alternative. You don't want to let AOC take over the Democratic Party. I'm going to be your alternative. Then a funny thing is going to happen. The primaries will start. And in the primaries, AOC is going to beat pants off everybody Mm. uh, because the radical crazies are going to be all mobilized. They're all going to pour out to vote. Nobody's going to be radical crazy for Buttigieg, maybe the gay community, but nothing big. And, uh, and the, and in terms of the, of uh, Kamala, the blacks are not going to mobilize for Kamala, and uh, they might for Booker if uh, if he replaces her. But I think that there will be a big vacancy, and I think AOC will begin to win. And that will stimulate tremendous fears by the establishment Democrats, just like they were scared of Bernie Sanders winning and they put up Biden. Imagine what's going to happen when they're afraid of Hillary winning, uh, of AOC winning, right. and they put up Hillary. And for the same reason that Biden corralled the Democratic nomination as the alternative to Sanders, Hillary may well corral the Democratic nomination as the alternative to AOC. And I think that's probably what's going on now. Now, Hillary's got a problem tonight because she has to speak later this week at the Democratic convention in New York State, located in New York City. And all the leftist nuts are going to be there. Mm. They're all going to be going crazy. And Hillary can't sound a note of moderation without sparking a war inside that convention hall. Wow. And uh, But on the other hand, she, doesn't, she needs to advance her line and use this positioning opportunity to give her a chance at the nomination in 24. This is kind of her founding speech where she, uh, where she says who she is and where she's for. And she's got to do that now. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what Hillary's ultimate move is going to be. But don't count her out. I believe it is very possible, not likely yet, but very possible, that Hillary will be the candidate in 2024. Thank God you're on our side because she's looking for a Dick Morris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? He used to have one. Thank <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> 
But you still the, get that Christmas card, right, with the white powder? Yeah, I do. I get a Christmas card from him every year, but there's white powder on it. So <laughs> yes, I don't open you it. don't open it. <laughs> He has a dog uh, lick it. <laughs> you know, my dog will die. Yeah. I know, we don't do that. Dogs sound we like love, anthrax we either. Love, we love dogs. Um, so uh, anyway, after we after the commercial break, we'll come back. I'm going to interview an extraordinary man, uh, Conrad Tillard, who is uh, a pastor in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Uh, he's, uh, he's about in his 60s, and uh, he's the pastor, activist, I'm sorry, he's a pastor, activist, and leader, uh, in professor, host of Conversations with Conrad on 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. And he's uh, preached in Roxbury, in Boston, and on the south side in Chicago. And brilliant, he has an brilliant. incredible, brilliant perspective about what's, what's going on politically within the black community. And I came upon him as I was researching ways to work on making inroads into the black community for Republicans. Now, don't get him wrong. Conrad is a Democrat, determined to help the Democrats, and he believes that the Democrats are slighting black men and and being too much in favor exclusively of the needs of black women, and that he thinks that that's embodied in Biden's decision not to name an African-American, but to name a female African-American to the Supreme Court giving the women four seats out of the nine on the court and leaving Clarence Thomas, a Republican who obviously doesn't represent the black community as the sole black male on the court. And he's warning the Democrats that if they take black men for granted, they're going to lose them. And I'm celebrating that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah me too. Let's have him on in a few minutes. Yay. Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So I'm, it's my honor to be here tonight, today, with Conrad Tillard, uh, who is the uh, pastor. What is the name of your congregation, Conrad? I'm at Flatbush Tompkins Congregational Church uh, in Flatbush, but I've also served at Nazarene Congregational Church in Bedford-Stuyvesant. So I have you correct. I've pastored in Harlem, Roxbury, Bedford-Stuyvesant, and now Flatbush. So my my ministry has been entirely an urban ministry. That's wonderful. Wonderful to talk to you and good of you to come on. So uh, tell me what you think about what's going on in the black community between the two genders. Well, I'm very happy to be here, and uh, I certainly will get to that. But I do, I do want to say and I thank you for clarifying. I am a Democrat, but I'm a common-sense Democrat. I mean, I live in Kings County, perhaps the most Democratic uh, uh, stronghold in America. And But I'm a, I'm a common-sense Democrat. I'm an Eric Adams Democrat. I'm a person that believes that the party is being pushed uh, to extreme uh, positions by the progressive wing of the party, uh, and I'm concerned about that. And my uh, concern uh, is that, you know, as Tip O'Neill said, and I read the great Thomas P. Tip O'Neill's book, he said all politics are local. And I, I have no problem with how blacks have flourished in the Democratic Party locally. I mean, look at New York. Mm-hmm. Our mayor comes out of that party, the attorney general, the public advocate, et cetera, et cetera. However, Republicans win most presidential elections. Since I have been alive, uh, Republicans have won most of the presidential elections. And I'm simply concerned that black people uh, need to have a different calculus in terms of of national politics. Uh, I've been advocating for five years a 70-30 plan, which should put about 30 percent of us solidly in the Republican Party. And lastly, it'll just make our vote and our, our demographic uh, uh, be pursued more competitively. I think that Democrats treat blacks like a golf handicap. <laughs> you go into the race and you're 20 points behind because the you're 20 points ahead because you have the black vote and they take it. Well, totally no one would know that better than you because you okay. worked so closely with the Clinton, right. the chief beneficiaries of the black vote. You got that right. So, uh, but you were talking to me about the difference in perspectives between black men and black women within yes. the black family. Uh, please explain well, that what I, Sure. What I'm saying is that the Democrats have 
they have done a very cynical calculation. And that calculation is uh, in spite of the fact that black men uh, vote overwhelmingly Democratic as well as black women. I mean, uh, in the last election, it looks like Trump made inroads. And uh, but 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 it's still not a very uh, major difference yeah. between right, the voting right now in a survey I just conducted uh, 12% yes. of black men and but only 5% of black women Absolutely. say they were Republican right. and if there were a race of Trump against Biden today Trump would win 21% of the black male vote but only 11% and, of the black female vote and the reason I think that is is because in spite of overwhelming numbers of black men who have voted for the Democrats they have continued to ignore the black man and almost trying to divide our community by privileging and only speaking in terms of black women. Well, we live in the homes with these black women. They are our wives and our mothers and our daughters. And what we're saying is we believe in a strong black family and a black community. And if black men are expected to work and take care of their families and be contributing members, positive contributing members of society, then black men have to be included in the equation. You know, when you look at the other demographics, um, um, there's no single demographic that votes as solidly as blacks. And black men are more democratic than women uh, who voted 60-40 in the Trump-Hillary election. 40% went for Trump. And so black people have the right and also the responsibility to exercise and use their vote in an intelligent way. And when you park all of your votes in one party in terms of national elections, if the opposite party wins, we're in a two-party system, and you're disenfranchised for four years or eight years. And we cannot continue to have that reality. And, and that's why I've been advocating this 30, what, why uh, do you 30 think, 70, 30 plan. Why What's do that? you think black men, what do you think black men are complaining about in terms of the preference of the Democrats for black well, women? Well, they're complaining about it was never so apparent hearing the, in the So apparent in the Supreme Court pick where Biden right. says, I'm going to appoint a black woman, not a black person. Right. I mean, what black men are concerned about is never hearing the Democratic Party say the term black men. You know, it's interesting when Obama ran for president, uh, had he said at one point, uh, I am going to be the first black male president, it would have killed his presidency. It would have killed his his uh, move in the primary. Uh, But and yet Kamala Harris was able to declare proudly that she would be the first woman of color. We've got to fix that and change that and not try to bifurcate right. the black community, think, but also talk about the, the great achievements and advancements for black women and black men. It's not I, that black men are upset that Biden will put a black woman on the Supreme Court. In fact, the lie of feminism is that black women or women in general are in this by themselves. It's a black man, uh, uh, Clyburn out of South Carolina, that insisted that Biden would make this uh, uh, pick and and, and fulfill his promise. But the issue is, out of all of the Supreme Court uh, uh, nominees and those judges on the bench from the Democratic Party, all of them are women. And so we we have to uh, equalize the playing field, level the playing field. And black men are not going to sit idly by and continue to not hear their names called. And the other thing is black men are interested in enterprise. They're interested in the free market. They're interested in opportunity. It appears that uh, black women have achieved uh, in terms of the corporate sector who sort of made a decision that they would hire both women uh, as a double minority. And many black men are forced to be entrepreneurs. And so we've got to you know, th- this is where the uh, the the uh, free market message of the Republican Party has attracted uh, a black men. I saw the other day where a rapper, a uh, popular rapper from Atlanta, Waka Flocka, he was saying how Donald Trump had shown him how to set up corporations and how to utilize the American system and how to avoid uh, taxes to, to, to limit know, his tax obligation, Con- which, 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 which <laughs> that's Con- the American I, way. I think we need to look back to understand this to the days sure. of Pat Moynihan when he yes. said that the key cause of poverty in the black community 
was the breakup of the nuclear family, where he said that no longer could the man be counted on in the family to support the family financially and provide a role model for the black boys. And he said that, that, what, that unless we strengthened the economic and social position of black men, we were condemning an entire generation to poverty. Now, at the moment, 70%, 7 out of 10 of black children are growing up in households without a father. And that means one income. That means instead of two-income families, they're in poverty, no role model for black boys, and absolutely dooming them to poverty. Now, in the last 30 years or 40 years, the emphasis in public policy by the Democratic Party and Republican has been to help black men help raise their stature, help make sure that they get good educations and can get good jobs. But now the left wing of the Democratic Party is not doing that. They are replacing black men. It's suddenly Heather has two mommies. It's the LBGTQ community saying, we don't need black men. We have black women. And I think that as they push the social agenda of trans sports, of gender change, and of affirmative action programs that benefit black women but not black men, that black men are feeling not only ignored by the Democratic Party but potentially replaced by them. Well, uh, the fact of the matter is the lie is that the Democrats do actually need black men, okay? The the electorate is so divided that if, if they want to take the 92% or the 87% of votes that they've received from black men uh, in the last presidential elections, if they want to scoff at that uh, because black women voted a few percentage points more for uh, the Democrats, then that would be an unwise uh, direction. But the fact of the matter is this is where common sense Democrats have to stand up and say, wait a minute. Uh, We know that, yes, if you're at Wellesley College or if you are at Smith College, uh, the concept of a single mother looks quite differently than if you're in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Harlem as a single mother with four or five boys with no father around. And we, as black people, who are the number one, the most loyal constituency to the Democrats, we can't take direction from the LBGTQ uh, uh, caucus. We can't take uh, direction from the feminist caucus. We have our own needs. And just as, you know, even the LBGTQ community has been politically savvy enough. Many of them voted for Trump. They they had a significant uh, uh, number of people who voted for both sides because any wise constituency wants to be protected, indemnified, and at the table no matter who wins. And so if if black people who are directing the party who actually saved Biden's nomination and ultimately put him in the White House uh, don't have the courage to say, wait a minute, that message of thinking that if you speak up uh, for a a nuclear family, if you say single parent households are not good, that used to be an article of faith that all same people who looked at the urban landscape took for granted and understood And the facts remain, whether a child is black, white, brown, red, yellow, green, or purple, they do better in a two-parent household. And and we have to, as a party— Particularly when one of those parents is a man. Well, you know, listen, that is is my understanding of family in terms of the ideal uh, model for family, but— uh, you know, and I'll let the, the other groups have their own agenda and their own yeah. concerns. Sure, but, but, but if you have a black American community, but you can't argue that a black boy is better off with two black women raising him well, than with a I would, I successful, would entrepreneurial, uh, yeah. loving black man. Well, I would not argue that. I have not argued that. I'm simply saying that, you know, I recognize the Democratic Party is a big tent, and there are people in the in the Democratic Party. Uh, for them, that's their reality, and that is uh, the, the position they will argue. Now, I want to interrupt say, this for a minute with a, okay. a testament to uh, how sure. black women feel about black men.
I just, well, just to, well, I Dick Morris, I'm going to tell you what I told. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I told a liberal feminist professor recently, uh, a liberal uh, white woman feminist professor. I said, you can't tell me about black woman, women. My mother's a black woman. Uh, I have uh, been married to black women, and uh, I, my daughter is a black woman. So I know that we have our issues just like white folks. The good white folks, you all have your issues too because white men are dealing with the same thing, and certainly women were kept out of society and they need to be included, but it can't be at the exclusion of the very men who will be expecting to take care of these women and their children. You know, with Clinton, you all put a whole bunch of black men in jail for child support. But the fact of the matter is if they can't find jobs, how are they going to pay child support? So we have to I did do that. That's right. Am I right or wrong? You're right. You're right. It's a big deal. Well I appreciate your honesty. In fact we had a we had a million man march uh, to uh, talk about father responsibility. Uh, the goal was not I to was put them in jail. But anyway, Conrad, I yeah. really appreciate you coming on, and thank you for these wonderful intellectual insights. You're, you're a great I thank person. You. I thank you very much. Thank you. Thank now, you. Have um, a great day. Thank you. Now, as a political proposition, years ago, we came to realize, my wife Eileen was instrumental in pointing this out, that the gender gap, uh, women voting different from men, was mainly among single women. And that became a political fact. And now... This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.